The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all the people started coming to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him so that they could have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. But when they continued asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he bent down and wrote on the ground. And in response they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. So he was left alone with the woman before him. Then Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She replied, No one, sir. Then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin any more. The Gospel of the Lord. As we celebrate this fifth Sunday of Ordinary Time, it's the time in which traditionally in the church that we veil the images. We veil the statues and the, the other images of Our Lady and the angels and the saints and even the crucifix in the church. And it kind of makes everything seem a little bit kind of empty because you don't have all the, the usual bright colors and things. It's just simple walls and purple. But there's an important reality to that is that the church is showing us visibly that we're supposed to be kind of stripping things away spiritually. The church is allowing us to focus on the most essential pieces of the word of God. To be able to focus on the most important foundational things of life in Christ. And so we strip everything else aside just as our Lord was stripped in the midst of his passion So, too, we begin to join him. Today marks the first Sunday of what's traditionally known as Passion Tide. This is the day where we start preparing for the Passion of the Lord. And notice the place where we find him today is the same place that we'll find him next week in the Garden of Olives. And that's where it begins, in the Garden of Olives, the place of prayer of our Lord. I'm not sure if it's just me because I'm a priest and I get excited by such things or if it's of general interest to the Catholic world. But the other day I was watching a documentary (laughs) and it shows again just how I like to spend my time. I was watching a documentary on a traditional Benedictine monastery in France, which is rather a niche market, I guess, of documentary viewers. But it was fascinating to me to be able to hear about the, the monastery itself and how it had been founded and, and their history and what they had undergone, undergone throughout the centuries to see their life of prayer and what their, what their prayer as a community looks like in the monastery and so many other things. But one thing that did catch my attention at the beginning of this documentary on the monastery 
with several vocation stories of some of the monks. Because they especially kind of resonated as I was praying with and preparing uh, the scriptures this weekend in my reflections. One of the monks, he said, he said very simply, you know, I'm, I was, uh, you know, again, he's in France. So I was, uh, I was basically in a biker gang uh, and I was, you know, a rather violent, a rather, rather violent fella. Uh, and so, you know, ultimately, you know, we kind of rode around and, you know, rode with the, the rough crew, but ultimately came here, uh, you know, discerned to come to this monastery and to, to dedicate my entire life um, to prayer and work for God. He said it confused my friends very much, <laughs> you know, the, this radical transition. Another one said, you know, I said, you know, he was kind of explaining. He said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you very simply. I mean, it's, there's no show to it. I, I lived a life of, of debauchery. I was, I was what you call a child of the 60s. I was a hippie, uh, you know, and it was, so it was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was, it was the, just being consumed in this life, and, and that was all that there was. He said, and, you know, I, I eventually joined the monastery, but my family was not really surprised because it was all about peace and love. So why not join a monastery, you know? And so he's like, you know, so it's just kind of, it is what it is, you know, just, you know, that was, that was my journey. Another young man gets up and begins to kind of explain his story, how he's from a uh, not a very religious family. It wasn't a lot of religious practice, but ultimately, you know, he felt led by God to come to this monastery, etc., etc. So it was fascinating to kind of hear these, these different stories. But the reality is that each of them in some way struck me because of what Dom Mark Kirby, himself another Benedictine monk, would describe as the excessive mercy of God. And that's what we hear about this weekend in the gospel, the excessive mercy of God. Dom Kirby, in his, own, in his own writings and his blog, kind of reflecting upon this passage, he remarked, interestingly to me at first, he said, this passage that we just heard, the gospel reading was almost not included in the sacred scriptures because it was too merciful. It was too easy. It was scandalous. How easy it was to receive the mercy of God. And he noted that actually in the early church, whenever, you know, centuries and centuries back, whenever each gospel had to be manually composed and copied hand, you know, by hand, written on parchment, he noted that there are a number of copies that have been discovered where the person who copied it simply omitted this entire passage. Skipped over it. Too easy excessively merciful excessively merciful and this is what we see in our Lord excessive mercy it begins as I said in the Mount of Olives where our Lord was frequently found that's why Judas whenever he left the last supper I don't know if Jesus told him ahead of time but whenever our Lord goes out you know, he and the other eleven go out to the Mount of Olives to pray and Judas knows exactly where to find him Presumably because Jesus regularly prayed in the same spot there. So he comes down from his usual place of prayer, encountering God the Father from the Mount of Olives. And he comes and he settles in the temple. And it's a fascinating thing that John says. He says that all the people began to come to him. Now with that period on John's gospel there, that John includes, one can easily just stop. 
Because that statement by itself tells us everything we need to know about our Lord. All the people came. Not just the good folks. Not just the kind of middle, middle ground folks. Not just the really wild ones that really need a help. Right? Even those came who had wicked intentions. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. These people who are constantly trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Even they come. Even though wicked of heart. They're still drawn to Jesus. All begin to come to Jesus. Again, it would be enough to stop there. But St. John continues with the rest of the story to tell us and to show us in very clear and practical terms what exactly this means for all of us to come to Jesus. He points out that there's a woman who has been caught in adultery. And they bring forward in the, 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 the people who are kind of bringing her and using her uh, basically as a trap for our Lord. They come and they say, Lord Jesus, they don't address him as Lord. <laughs> that would be offensive. They address him and say, Jesus, you know, teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. There's not a shadow of a doubt if she's guilty. It's not we heard. It's not maybe. It's not, you know, it's very likely we, we caught her in the act. She's 100% certainly guilty now it's time for judgment the law says we need to stone her to death Jesus what do you say and phrasing it this way they basically set up Jesus that he either has to contradict the law and let her be free or he has to follow the law and have her killed either way will be shocking and scandalous to anyone who knew Jesus. Because they knew that Jesus was a righteous Jew who followed and observed and understood the importance of the law, but also that he was a righteous man in the sense that he would not allow condemnation to take place unnecessarily. They come forward to trap our Lord. And interestingly, he doesn't immediately respond. He simply bends down and starts writing in the dust. They begin to press him. You have to give us an answer, teacher. You're the one who teaches all the people. You're here in the temple. You have to give an answer. And then he stands up. Because the king stands in judgment. And he simply says, whoever is the one without sin, let them be the first to cast a stone at her. And with that, he upholds justice. But also he extends mercy. And then he bends back down and continues to write in the dust. We don't know what Jesus was writing in the dust. Some scripture scholars have suggested that maybe he was writing the sins of those around him in the dust. Maybe he was writing the woman's sins as a sort of reading her heart, a sort of verbal confession of what she has done. Maybe he's writing the commandments. We don't know. But he, interestingly, does not address the woman. He doesn't acknowledge her. He doesn't look at her. He doesn't ask her questions. He doesn't say, is it true? He doesn't ask, are you sorry? He simply writes in the dust. Let the one who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And the elders begin to walk away first. Because the elders are the ones who have grown in age, but also in wisdom. (laughs) 
And the fact that they walk away is important because it doesn't mean that, well, I just can't throw the first stone. So I just got to I got to set out. They recognize that if anyone's going to throw the first stone, someone else is going to be there to throw the second. So I know I'm not the first person, but in walking away, they're explicitly saying, and none of you can throw one either. Because none of you is without sin. Every last one of us gathered around here had been caught red-handed in our sins. And they walk away one by one. Our Lord simply looks at this point. He stands up and addresses the woman. Now that everyone's gone, and he says, where are they? (laughs) Has no one condemned you? And of course he knows the answer. No one, Lord. Now at this point you have to wonder and presume kind of the woman was still not exactly at peace. Because the people who could have stoned her have, have gone away. They've, they've at least kind of let the case you know, be dismissed from the court. But there's still this man who knows everything. He's the teacher. He's the one that everyone has been gathering around. What is he going to say? And when he responds, neither do I condemn you. You have to believe that it felt like the, uh, a mountain was lifted off her shoulders. Peace. Because mercy always brings peace. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and don't sin anymore. Give it up. You're free. Stay free. And this is what Christ calls for us as well. The simple fact is that none of us can throw stones either. Because none of us is without our sin. Every one of us has been shown the excessive mercy of God. Regardless of what we've done. All of us have been recipients of this excessive mercy. The reality is that in the world today, oftentimes it's easy to be able to think or to consider that some ought not to be here. Ought not to be in church. I remember from myself, from from my own youth, I didn't always dress as a priest. When I was in catechism, I was sometimes asked to turn my shirt inside out before I went into church because it was too offensive. Let that soak in. There were many, and whenever I came to church, when I showed up in the Adoration Chapel with my heavy metal t-shirt on and my chains clanking against the kneeler, looked at me and probably thought, what is he doing here? Why is he here? But there is not a person in the world that any of us should be able to look at as they sit in the pew next to us. There should not be a single person in the world, no matter what we may see on the outside, the Lord always looks to the heart. We don't know, but there's no one to whom we can honestly say, what are they doing here? 
Just as the same for myself as being the recipient of that accusation, I know I've also been the one to give it. When people have shown up, I am my mighty piety. What are they doing here? How easy it is. And yet the Lord reminds us and assures us that all are called to come to him. All. Period. The mercy of God is excessive. Thanks be to God. But it is something we also must be recipients of and especially be mindful of and allow it to continue to resonate within our hearts. Because the simple fact is that we can come to receive the mercy of God and we can find, we, we can find peace. It's easy for us to go to confession in a sense and to be able to, to, to give it to God and to walk away at peace. It's easy also for us to be able to go to another person and to, to admit our faults or to, to ask forgiveness or to, or to forgive another person, to be reconciled with another person. This too is relatively easy. But the most difficult piece for the majority of us is we can't forgive ourselves. And here too, we need excessive mercy to come to us. It's easy to think that God may be able to forgive us because God's God. That's what he does. My, you know, I often have to <laughs> remind, you know, I would remind my mom when I was younger. I was like, well, you have to love me. I'm your son, right? <laughs> we can easily say that to God. You have to love me. You made me. And indeed, he does have to love us because it's his very nature to love us. But sometimes we struggle to love ourselves. And here I think it's especially important for us to be able to look to the reminder that St. Paul gives to us as well. St. Paul himself was a faithful Jew, but he did not have charity in his heart. He lived the Jewish observance of things, but he was also the one who most maliciously attacked the church, sought to kill the church. And he recognized his wickedness. He recognized the lack of charity in his heart and was converted to God. And here, writing to the Philippians, he says, All the things that, I have, that, I have, that, that are in my past, I count as lost. They're nothing to me. He says, I count it as so much rubbish. And the word rubbish is actually a really nice way of saying, I count it as a big old pile of crap. It's useless to me. It means nothing. It's not something I want. It's not something I desire. It's just the past. It is what it is. It means nothing. None of us value what goes in the toilet, right? It means nothing to us. I don't care about the past. I look forward to the future. He says very simply, just one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. My upward calling in Christ Jesus. Just like the monk in the video who said very simply, he said, I'll tell you very simply. I lived a life of debauchery. I did this, 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 and this, and that was the past. But here, I've committed myself to God. He didn't beat himself up over it. It was a statement of fact. This is what I've done. But here is who I am. And this is what St. Paul tells us. Forget what we've done and look to who we are. And even more so, look to whom Christ is calling us to be. 
our upward calling. Notice that Jesus, he bends down twice to ride in the dust. He bends down to bring himself to us, to bring mercy to us. But then he lifts us up as he stands with us. He humbles himself that we might be exalted. And this is the great gift. That the excessive mercy of God is still at work in you and me. Is here and now. The Lord Jesus says to us, recorded through the words of Isaiah the prophet, Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago, consider not. See, I am doing something new.